Hello, everyone. Can you hear me at the back there? There you go. Cool. Welcome to this workshop. Um, I hope you're going to enjoy this format. I think it's going to be an interesting session. Uh, the topic is super interesting. Well done to William and Devold for uh, taking on a topic like this. Um, I'm glad I can uh, be here for the session because um, it's the kind of thing that you'd want to be able to talk about at a party afterwards, you know? You guys don't relate. What's wrong with you people? What kind of parties do you go to? Um, yeah, so uh, William and Diervold have put a lot of effort into this and have tried to set up the session to be um, engaging at times. I'll do some presenting and then um, some kind of workshopy engagement. So I hope you're prepared for that. Uh, please get stuck in. Um, enjoy the, the process. And I hope that we all learn a lot from you guys. I'll hand over to you. morning everyone um, before I start we've got a pretty challenging uh, venue today I just want to make sure the, the guys at the back can you hear me all right great a billion here a billion there pretty soon you're talking real money now a lot of people don't know that Everett Dirksen the Republican senator in America actually never said that pretty well-known quote he did not ever say a billion here a billion there like many senators do today. But he never said the part, pretty soon you're talking real money. When asked about this by a newsman, he said that he was actually misquoted years ago, um, but he never thought to deny it because it sounded so good to him. Now, misattributed or not, this quote carries some weight for our discussion today. If we look at our government expenditure for this financial year, we see a pretty familiar face. Now, government, like any emerging company, country and developing country, you'll see that learning and culture, social development and health makes up one of some of the largest expense categories. And around about 60% of our government expenditure goes to social services. Now, as to Everett's quote, we're here today to talk about real money. We're here today to talk about the estimated 530 billion rand that would be spent on social grants over the next three years. And we're not only here today to talk about real money, we're here today to talk about real lives. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, or good afternoon. My name is Diewald Miller. I'm an actual associate at EY at Santon in Johannesburg. With me today is William Melville. He's an actual associate at PwC, based in Cape Town. Both of us are currently completing our master's part-time at Stellenbosch University. Now, our third member, Natalie Van Sel, could not make it, unfortunately, for these two days. Uh, she became ill. Um, she does send all her regards and her best of luck to me and William. <laughs> so a few years ago, we started with this project in 2016 to build a model to predict the cost of social grants in our country for the long term. Now, that being mentioned now, there's only been one model like that that's been built in our country. It was around about the years 2010, 2011. But we found that this model was a bit uh, was outdated, the assumptions wasn't updated, and some, some methodologies wasn't allowed for what they did. Now, the purpose of our discussion today is threefold. First of all, we'd like to give you a bit of a background of the, social stru the structure of social grants in South Africa, but not, all, not only the number side, but also the human element to it. Secondly, William will discuss the model, what it entails, and the whole idea for that is for you to see what different factors has an effect on the cost of social grants in our country. 
And then thirdly, we show you how this model can then be used and applied to answer other social questions in our country, things like the basic income grant, etc. But before I go further, and uh, this might seem very out of context at this stage, I'm going to play you a very short sound clip now, around about 10 seconds. Um, and it will seem out of context, but I'll get back to that now. And I understand it is definitely out of context, but um, as this is a workshop, my first question would be to the audience, who is the artist of this, of this song? Anyone? Uh, sorry? Phil Collins. And so I've, I haven't been to a lot of workshops, but I see people normally hand out chocolates and stuff. So that is Phil Collins, and the song is called In the Air Tonight. Um, but uh, if you bear with me at the end of the presentation, I'll get back to that and I'll tell you at least why, why I played that now. But let's get into it. Now, as actuaries, we're very good in measuring the wood. That's the number crunching side of things. Um, basically, torturing the data until we get to answers. And per perhaps when we look at social grants, one of the best ways to look at it is a top-down approach. And this brings us back to that familiar picture we just saw regarding our consolidated government expenditure for this year. And you'll see the second largest expense category, social development, forms around about 15% of our national government. Now, of that second largest expense category, around about 80% is made up of social grants. Now, if you look at social grants in our country, the three largest grants are the old age grant, followed by the child support grant, and then the disability grant. You'll also see how these grants carry quite a lot of weight in terms of what we expect in the model um, for future expenditure on social grants in our country. And maybe to stop and pause here, to mention two things. First of all, Historically, our country has been increasing social grants by the CPI index, year on year. This year, for the first time, they allowed for the additional increase in VAT from 14% to 15%. So those, those increases are reflected in the amounts that beneficiaries actually receive. And on the second point, in 2016, National Treasury did an investigation to determine whether these grant numbers would be sustainable in the future. And they found that our country's economy needs to grow by at least 3% per annum for these numbers to be sustainable in the future. Maybe that's one of the first red flags for our discussion today. But this is our all good and well. But in the process of measuring the wood, the number crunching, we might be losing sight of the individual trees. That's the human element part of it. What's the stories behind these numbers? Maybe the best place to start is looking at our household income distribution in South Africa. This is uh, from the AMP survey, obtained from the AMP survey. And if you look at that and spend some time with it, you'll realize that more than 40% of South African households earn less than, than 5,000 rand per month. Now, taking into account, on average, there's three, just a bit more than three people per household in South Africa, it starts painting a bit of a grim picture. Now, with this, it goes without saying that social grants forms the backbone of the struggle of many families in our country to survive on a day-to-day -day basis and on a month-to-month -month basis. And not only that, it also forms the foundation for social stability in our country. We've seen the hot topics these days on the news regarding SASA and the delays of payment of grants, and I don't think we really realize at this stage what could happen if we get this wrong. So maybe just a quick breakdown for those of you that don't know. These are the actual numbers that grants recipients re receive. Um, the state all-age grant is the largest amount, around about 1,700 rand currently per month. And then lastly, and the child support grant um, ranging around 400 rand per month that they receive. Now, grants in South Africa are means-tested, which means that 
for enable for somebody to get that grant, they need to earn less than a certain income threshold. Now that's broken down between either a household as one earner, then they need to earn less than 6,500 rand per month, or two earners, basically two people that's married and both working, they need to earn less than 13,000 rand per month. And here's uh, the first question to the audience on this topic. Um, what I'd like you to do now, based on what I just showed you, come up with an estimate on how many households you think in South Africa would be eligible to receive grants, percentage-wise, based on those income thresholds. So I'll give you three minutes now to discuss it within your tables. I think it's pretty well broken up now. Come up with what do you think is the percentage of households that earns that would be able to receive a grant based on that income threshold in South Africa. One minute, two minutes. All right. So I'm just going to ask maybe in the crowd audience, is there any, any guesses? There's 60% here. Anyone? 65? 75. Right? And that's probably something that you need to expect when you're working with a group of actuaries. So around about 60 to 70% of households in our country would be able to receive grants based on these income thresholds. Well, that's shocking. And this maybe puts into context Barack Obama's speech at the Nelson Mandela Century, um, Century Function in Sandton this year in July regarding basic income grant. He said the following, it's not just money that a job provides, it provides dignity and structure and a sense of place and a sense of purpose. So we're going to have to consider new ways of thinking about these problems like universal income. But we'll touch on that a bit later. So let's just put the time for a reality check. Can you imagine living on 1,700 Rand per month? Now I need to make it clear at this stage, by no way am I implying that all of us can necessarily relate to these circumstances. But at very least, we need to try and understand what the real situation is for the majority of our households in our country, what they go through. So we're going to have a quick exercise. And I'm going to, have, I'm going to break you into five groups. Each group would get an expense category, one expense category, and you need to estimate what do you think a person with a budget of 1,700 Rand would be spending on that specific expense category your group would get. So I'm going to have this part of the room as group one. You'll be doing uh, housing. First two rows here would be doing food. Um, then the second two rows, that's group three, would be doing um, transport. Last row, your group uh, Group four, doing clothing, health, and communication. And then on this side, the two of you, um, you're going to do recreation and entertainment. And the whole idea about this is not just getting, coming up with a number, but for instance, with food. Think about walking down a grocery aisle. What would these products actually cost, given that you only have 1,700 Rand per month? So I'm going to give you three, four minutes now. Each group knows which specific expense category, and then we get back to it, see where you get out. All right. So what I'm going to do now is just going to move to the groups. Um, I'm going to ask the table, group one on housing, um, what, what amount, what was the thinking behind the number you guys got up with? About 300. Second. About 300 rand. Three, how, how did you get to the, to the 300 rand? Well, the reasoning was that uh, the type of accommodation would actually be like very low. Okay, that's yeah, a good so point. It wouldn't require yeah. much. So, so, estimate of 300 rand for, for housing. Um, and, and, and now I just have to ask you, I know there's going to be some bias here. Don't start pushing your numbers down or up based on what the other groups are saying. <laughs> All right, uh, group two. So we came to around 600 a month. Um, for food? For food, yeah. We reckon it's and, and thinking? Thinking around that? Um, well, we worked on a household of three. 
um, and we reckon that it's sort of the samp and beans kind of diet. Um, yeah, Very and, good. and we got there. Cool, 600 rand there. Uh, moving to uh, transport. Are you changing the numbers? <laughs> <laughs> no changing of numbers now. <laughs> Come on. Um, 300 rand. <laughs> and, and, and basic thinking there, why 300? Um, so we were thinking that most of them would be unemployed, so they wouldn't be traveling to work. Um, so the money would be spent traveling to, to grocery stores, see family, etc. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay. Uh, then we're moving to the back here. Um, clothing, health, and communications. So we said about 300 rands, and that would mostly be airtime because for health they would use government for public facilities. Clothes probably not spend a lot, and it's okay. mostly then data airtime. Cool, cool. And then uh, I'm just going to move over to this last one here. Um, on recreation and, and, and entertainment? Zero. Zero. Sure. Bunch of conservative actuaries today. Um, all right, so uh, William, the total there? Yes. <laughs> so the total it added up to is 1,776 Rand. Uh, not, not bad. The group yesterday ended up with 2,700 Rand. Um, so very well done. And uh, based on the, the urban pensioner CPI weights, that's the amount that it more or less comes down to. So you, each group would see more or less whether they're in or out. And obviously this is, this is a index and it doesn't represent reality, but it gives you some sense of, of what is going on. Now, just back to food. 334 Rand according to this index on food. This was a promotion a few days ago from ShopRite. Seven basic products that will definitely not last a month. Basic necessities for ours of three people, 415 Rand. So maybe at this stage we should revise the quote of uh, Mr. Everett. It should rather go something like this. 50 Rand here, 1,700 Rand there to around 16 million beneficiaries. Soon you're talking real money and real lives. Now we get to the model part. Now that we've covered the bit of the human element and actually understand what are we dealing with here, it's time that we start reading to the numbers. Another question, and the reason I'm going to ask this question, and it's a back of an envelope question, which is a bit of a difficult one. Um, what do you think would be the, the amount that would be spent on grants by the year 2030, given that the current amount is 163 billion rand? And the reason I'm asking this question is for you to start thinking what things do you need to take into account? What are you going to think about to get to that number? So very quickly, two minutes, um, and then I'll show you what our model came up with and how that, how that actually, the accuracy of that, and then we'll move into the actual model. So one or two minutes, just quickly with the number, what do you think it would be by 2030? 12 years. So currently 163 billion rand. Okay, any, any, any guesses in, uh, in the audience currently? Any, any 400 billion, yeah? 450? We've got 300? Yeah? Not bad. 
So our model predicted um, by the year 2030, we'll end up with 365 billion rand. And at this stage, this is all just numbers. I mean, that doesn't mean really anything. So maybe before I hand over to William, just, just a bit of a sense check. So in 2016, we set up the model and we predicted what the cost of social grants would be by 2018. So now we can do a bit of an actual versus expected exercise. And the model was out by about 2 billion rand, which is not bad. But with that, I also need to acknowledge that the net effect of some assumptions um, that didn't end up being the actuals definitely, definitely played a role here. And without further ado, I'll hand over to William. Yes. In the model. So, still on current, based on current things. But you'll see the model, you'd be able, and once you guys get to play the model, you'd be able to adjust those specifications and inputs to allow for that. And we'll get to that, get to that now. All right, William. Is it, is it only for males? For males, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I thought they would, wouldn't change. Okay, that's interesting. Um, anyway, so today I'm going to be talking about the different forecasting approaches that we used, and then I will be giving you an opportunity to give a bit of feedback on the different methodologies, and then we'll take through some of the results before handing it over to you to um, look at the model, start changing some of the assumptions and seeing the impact thereof. So now moving just straight into our main considerations for our model. So first of all, we assumed that the structure and size of the social grants in real terms today per recipient would remain unchanged going forward. We also assumed that the eligibility criteria in terms of age and income would also remain unchanged going forward. Um, but as you'll see later in our model, there is an opportunity to change some of these assumptions to see what the impact is there. But before I... Oh, we've also just to note, we've excluded the war veterans grant. There's only about 150 recipients, and then the social distress grant also makes up a fairly small proportion of the total cost. But before I move on to the projection models, I'm going to show you one of our earlier slides. So who of you can recall the three largest grants paid out in South Africa? So old age, which was? Where did that lie? At the top? Anyone for the other positions? Child, and where was that? And then the final one was? Okay, cool. So I'm glad you guys have been paying attention. So just one more note on the slide. That little other section at the bottom there is approximately equal to SASA's administration costs, or about 4% of the total. So just a bit of food for thought. And just to note, for our modeling purposes, we have excluded that when forecasting forward, the administration cost. Um, but now some of you may be wondering why we never considered using time series. Ah, sorry. We'll step ahead. Um, so our main modeling requirements, so this is a bit of an overview of how it works. The main requirement is the eligibility criteria. So that sort of drove our modeling purposes. There were two of these, one of which is income. This led to two different approaches, which we called proportional and statistical. And then the other criteria is age, which we called the age eligibility approach. So just to recap, we have our main modeling requirement. There are two of these which led to three different approaches, which we'll get into now. So now that you've seen how uh, the outlay of our model, you may be wondering why we never considered time series modeling. So the main reason for this was the look of horror it induced on the statistical professors at Stellenbosch University's faces when they were consulted with this idea. And it's just because we have two little data points. We have about 12 years of historical grant numbers. So grant numbers on a monthly basis is just inconsistent and wasn't very accurate. So you only have 12 real data points. So time series modeling was out.
So now let's move on to some of the assumptions in our model. The first we required was in terms of demographics. We needed forecasted population numbers split by age group for each future year. Um, we first used the ASA 2008 model, but we have since updated this to use the newer Tembisa model. Our second assumption was in terms of inflation. As Devald mentioned, um, grant numbers are assumed to increase in line with inflation, as has historically been the case. Finally, we required a GDP growth rate. This was to compare both our grant numbers, and it was the driving factor in one of our models that we used. We got both of those numbers from the Bureau of Economic Research from Stellenbosch University. They also provided a low road, middle road, and high road economic scenario, which you'll see a bit later in the model. Those were produced in 2014, so we have had to adapt them slightly to use them for 2018. So now moving on to the next part of the data that we required. This was the actual historical grant recipient numbers. Now there are three different sources for this. The first is the National Treasury. Now unfortunately this number did not correspond with the number provided by Stat South Africa, which unfortunately did not correspond with the number provided by SASA. So at the end, we decided to use SASA, as you have to use a, make a decision somewhere, and our, our reasoning behind this was that they're likely closest to the source, so that was the reasoning. But now that you've seen one of our data issues with regards to historical grant numbers, could you imagine any other data issues that we may have faced while trying to forecast forward the numbers? Or if you were forecasting today, what issues would you imagine? Don't know if anyone has a point I'd like to consider quickly. Say, say. The quality of the data you guys got. Was the quality good? I'm guessing there were like missing gaps that you guys... So the grant data is fairly consistent over time. So the numbers, the discrepancies aren't that big, but there are, there are issues between them, and it does raise some concerns. But over time, at least, the data seemed to be sensible. It wasn't unreasonable, so that was fine. Um, but some of the other issues we had was, which was mentioned a bit earlier, that change in that age eligibility. So historically, males had to be over the age of 65 to qualify for grant for older persons, whereas females only had to be 60. That was changed now to be equalized again, and I've heard today that that's going to be reversed. And then the child support grant, historically, you had to be under the age of 14 to qualify. This has also been changed, that you now have to be under the age of 18 to qualify. Another issue was in terms of income data. So there are two main sources on a household level, which is the General Household Survey and the All Media and Product Survey, or AMPS data set. So the General Household Survey's numbers are very sporadic. The, the income bands are inconsistent over time, so this wasn't reliable. The AMPS data set was a lot more reliable, but it seemed to have ended in 2015. There was no more data after that stage. So our data is a little bit older. Um, but now we're going to get into the, how the actual models work. So I'm going to take you through the three main models. So the first one's the age eligibility approach. So here we'd just like to thank the Social Security Committee of ASA from 2010 who produced the early version of this model, which we've then updated for our purposes. So how it works is we start with the current number of grants being paid out for each type of grant. We then divide it by the number of people that would qualify for that grant by age today. So for example, all the population under the age of 18 for the child support grant. We work out this ratio in both our base year and the average of the five years before that. We then take that number, or that proportion, and multiply it by the projected number of people expected to qualify by age for that grant. Um, so that then gives you your future forecasted number of grant recipients. We just then times it by the grant amount today, which we increase by inflation under our three different assumptions before multiplying by 12 just for the 12 months of the year and there you get your grant costs. So we repeat this for each forecasted year and each of the different grant types. 
So the problem with this approach is that it ignores that means test. So we haven't really been able to allow for the changes in income distributions and so forth, since we've essentially assumed the same proportion qualifying today will qualify in the future. So our first attempt at a simplified means test approach, we refer to as the income eligibility model. So here we had to look at household data for income, since this was for two reasons. Firstly, um, income data is generally only provided on a household level. And secondly, for the child support grant, the it was the income of the parents that matter and not obviously the child who would not be receiving an income. So what we had to first work out was the number of future households expected to receive grant. So this is a fairly simplistic approach. We take the number of households that would qualify today based on the means test, um, divided by the total number of households that currently exist, and that we do both in our base year and our average, so we get that proportion. We then need to multiply this by the forecasted number of households. To get this, we take the forecasted population numbers from the Timbisa model and divide it by the average household size just to be consistent with our other ratios. Um, so that gives you your expected number of households that will receive grants. For each of the different grants, we do this independently since the mean tests do differ for some of the grants. The next step was then to take those number of grants and we had to multiply it by the average number of grants per eligible household. So for example, if your household qualifies for a child support grant, it's more likely to have more than one grant of this type, whereas if you qualify for a disability grant, there's likely to be a lot less more than one on average um, disabled person per household. So to work out that average, we take the number of grant recipients currently being paid out and divide it by the number of households that currently qualify by income. This then gives us our future forecasted grant numbers. We then just again multiply it by the grant amount, increase by inflation, and multiply it by 12. So this is a fairly simplistic approach for allowing for the means test, and it doesn't, again, doesn't really capture changes in income distribution going forward. So this led to our final approach where we wanted to allow for that change. So it's conceptually quite similar to the previous one. We are also assuming that there's a constant, an average number of households, per average number of grants per eligible household remains constant. We assume that household sizes remain the same, but where it does differ is how we're going to work out that future proportion of households expected to qualify for grant. Instead of using the simple ratio that we used previously, we use a statistical distribution. So the statistical distribution that we fitted was the log normal distribution. Um, this is a commonly used distribution when fitting um, statistical distributions to income data. We then derive the relevant parameters, which in this case is mu and sigma, and we then forecast this forward, repeat this for each of the historical years, 2004 to 2015. Once we have our historical um, income distributions, we then have to forecast future ones. So what we did, fairly straightforward approach, we took simple linear regression, we assumed that our mean income would be related to nominal GDP growth. Um, for sigma, we assumed this remained constant. This basically assumed that there's not much change in inequality going forward. And then we got our future income distributions which you could then apply our inflated means test to derive the future proportion of households expected to receive grants. So once we have these household numbers, um, the number of households expected to get grants, we just then again multiply it by the average number of grants per eligible household, and then just again multiplying it by the grant amount and multiplying it by 12 to get our grant costs. So I've now taken you through the three main approaches. So the idea now is for you guys to get back into your groups again and sort of discuss what you think we left out, what you liked about the different approaches, what you didn't, what you would improve. Um, but just before I do that, just a quick recap of the three approaches. So the first one is the age eligibility approach, where we assume the proportion of people qualifying by age today will, that receive grants will be the same proportion in the future. 
So if 80% of people under 18 get a child support grant today, 80% will in each future year. The next one is to where we worked out the number, the proportion of households that qualify for grants currently and assume that carries on forward. And then finally, where we forecasted different dis income distributions forward to get our proportion of households that are expected to qualify. So if you guys can just go into the same groups again and we'll give you a few minutes to work through that. Thank you. And you're welcome to ask questions. I know it's quite quick through the approaches. Okay. Right, so has anyone got any particular points they'd like to raise? Anything they liked, anything they didn't like, anything they think we should consider, what you would have done differently? Um, please do raise your hand if you have a point. Otherwise, I'm going to come to each group and ask individually. <laughs> they had the back, maybe. Yeah, I don't have a very clear view of about which one is the best, but I, what I like is that um, you considered different methods, and I'm very curious if they give completely different answers. If they give somewhat similar answers, it creates confidence in the, in the approach. Otherwise, there's something else to, yeah, to investigate. Okay. We'll, we'll see that a bit later, but yes, thank you. Um, anyone else would like to raise a point? Different group, same group? Maybe, yeah, in the front there was quite a lot of discussion on this side. Don't know if you guys would like to say something. Um, hi. Um, yeah, we were just discussing the, um, I guess, whether it's appropriate to keep that uh, sigma parameter the same. Yeah, that's a good point. So inequality is likely to change and so forth. Yeah. and. It is just difficult with the, we only have about 12 years of um, income data as well. So to get those forecasting correct, which was, as you'll see a bit later, one of the big weaknesses of that methodology. Um, but yeah, cool. Thank you. Any other points? Um, did you forecast income purely based on GDP as a predictive variable? Yes. Um, with a limited number of data points. So, yes. I mean, so how accurate can that really it, be? It isn't very accurate. That was one of the big issues of that particular approach. So, yes, I agree. I, we couldn't figure another way to get forward our income distributions based on historical data. So, we're happy if anyone has a, an alternative approach to that, to consider that as well. But, yes, that's a good point. That was a big issue of that approach. I think that's the last one, and then we'll round up on it. So maybe not relevant to the actual methodology of the modeling, but just two policy positions to consider, government policy positions to consider. And it ties in, I suppose, to Casato clamoring for sort of the removal of the independence of the Saab is the risk of government trying to inflate its way out of debt. So having runaway inflation in the country, which then obviously reduces the, the real value of the pension um, that, or the, the grants that are being paid and the impact that will have on the numbers. Because when we've had times of high inflation in the country, the state old age grant has not kept pace with inflation in terms of the growth of the number. And then just what was behind the original reduction in the state old age grant for men 
was the life expectancy of the lowest LSMs when they reached retirement age of 65, which was the qualification age at that time. And it was a very short period. And that was actually, it was a ASA CSI investigation actually that supported the decision making, the policy decision making. And the intention, like I said earlier, was to reverse that um, as we saw the improvement in um, sort of life expectancy at age of retirement. Cool, thank you, appreciate that. Um, okay, so we're gonna move on to the results. So I'm gonna go through these fairly quickly so that we can hand over to you to look at the model, change some of the assumptions around. Um, so yeah, so our base case scenario is that, gra that graph of earlier has just now been extended to 2037. Um, so our predicted cost there is 575 billion rand in the year 2037. Um, so this was our base scenario, which we chose was that age, the first approach, the age eligibility approach. Um, and the reason for this is when you'll see in the next one, this answers an earlier question about how the approaches differ. So they do end up differing quite a bit. So our main approach, the age eligibility one, produced the largest numbers. This was followed by that, the second approach, the proportional income eligibility. So the main reason why it predicts such or somewhat lower numbers is because it hasn't allowed for that population aging effect. So you'll see a little bit later when we give a breakdown of the different grants, the main driving factor for the increase in the cost of grants in future is that predicted population aging. Um, the last methodology, that statistical income eligibility approach produced by far the lowest numbers, and this was largely based on our data issues. So we, as it was pointed out, um, we had few data, too few data points to project forward. And also a consequence of our projection methodology is that we've assumed income is increasing with GDP, whereas the means test is only increasing with inflation. So fewer and fewer households um, qualify. And given that the Bureau of Economic Research projects quite high GDP growth rates in the far future, of about 3 to 4%, you quickly start losing off households towards the end, which is why we have that lower number. But of course, we need to provide this, some context to these large numbers. So for our base scenario, this is the cost as a proportion of predicted GDP. So again, another point to note is that the, this, num this graph is declining. And the main reason why we expect social grant costs to decline as a proportion of GDP is because we're assuming fairly high GDP growth rates in the long term. Again, this is the consequence of forecasting 3% growth rates into the future. Um, so basically that costs enough to offset both, the, uh, this is non real GDP growth of 3%. Um, so that cost is enough to offset both obviously inflation and the changing demographic and the cost of that. Then finally, just to give you a breakdown of the three biggest grants. So as you can see, the old age pension grants shoots up the most, mostly driven by that forecasted population aging, while the other two big grants, child support grant and disability grants, stay fairly constant, which is a consequence of the fact that we've assumed declining fertility rates going forward, or rather the MBISA model has, and that the working age population is expected to shrink going forward. But now it's time to hand over to you to look at the Excel spreadsheet we provided you. So you'll see, I unfortunately don't have a computer to show how it works, but the main parameters are on this side. Underneath them, there's a few comments about how it works. And then on the other side, there are the results. So the password for the new model is that one. The old model, if you have that one, doesn't have the C before the 2018. So the only difference between the new and the old model is there was a small error in the, when you change the ages. So if you have the new model, you can change the ages uh, that you qualify, but if you have the older one, you won't be able to do that. You also see there's a universal basic income feature which you can turn on and off and see what the impact of that would be. But yeah, look at the comments if you're unsure or just ask me or Diabolt. Thanks. And we'll give you about five minutes, five to 10 minutes to play. 
maybe just one. Just one more note. So the middle, high, and low road economic scenario. So low is bad, middle is average long-term forecast, and high is good forecast. But even that middle is quite optimistic. So I know we didn't give a lot of time here to look at this, um, and we, we're wrapping up now. But you've got the model now, and you'd be able to see how different factors, like on the economic side, demographic side, even government policy can affect the cost of social grants um, in our country. Now, one of the questions that you see, we made allowance for allowing for universal basic income grants, and back to our discussion um, regarding Barack Obama. So if we allow for 100 rand per month, universal income grant, um, and we make the assumption it starts this year. Um, there's a 95% take-up rate, which means basically you won't expect your people in the higher income class would, would go through the admin to take up that grant. And you're looking at a cost of around 119 billion rand by, 20, by 2037. If we increase that to 1,000 rand per month, you're looking about a cost that would end up for, on our government's expenditure around about 5% of GDP. Now, I mean, at this stage, basically, We've taken you a bit through the structure of social grants in our country, what affects it, giving you a bit of the human element. And I hope you've seen through this process what factors all plays a role in this, in this big process. And one thing that we've realized when we started with this process that um, there was a bit more that met the eye in the beginning. And uh, we've got a lot of, lot of things on the actual side that reminds of this, like the actual control cycle, is one thing that's key on the social grant side is really taking into account all stakeholders. Um, and all parties involved. And this is something that you really need to have a view of the bigger picture. So on that point, and on the lighter, lighter points, I'll head back to Mr. Phil Collins now again. And I'm really sorry for those people that I'm going to ruin this song for now. Um, but in the, in the beginning, I played you the audio clip, but that was only one part of it. And this relates back to social grants. In the beginning, we saw one part of something. But once we started going down the trails, we saw the bigger picture and how this goes and feds into so many other aspects in our country and why it's so important to get this right. So the clip I'm going to play you now, I played you the audio from the clip. I'm going to add the visual part. And again, I apologize um, for ruining the song because I don't think you'll ever think of this song in the same way once you realize um, yeah, what, hap what happened there. Uh, let me just uh, stretch that. And sorry, before I get to that, um, <laughs> thanks, William. Uh, a slide that I just missed here is, is we've spoken about all these things, and, and, and there's quite a lot of other spending priorities that we need to take into account, like free tertiary education. At currently, it's accounting for around about, I think, 12 billion rand this year. Um, and the question we need to ask is, what do we allow for and what do we prioritize? So I've gone a bit ahead of myself, but uh, I'll just play you the clip now to, to finish off. And afterwards, if there's any questions or advice, please come to us. Um, yeah, we'd be happy to answer. And thank you so much for all your interaction today. We, we really appreciate it. So, Don't, don't let the drum roll ever, ever fool you. <laughs> Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. We appreciate your, your participation today. Yeah, I think that's it. So thank you, William Devolt. That was a really good experience. Um, and hopefully just the tip of the iceberg. I think there's, uh, maybe that's whet your appetite um, to look into some of these really puzzling, interesting questions um, about the direction our country's taking and, and um, how we can better arm people who are making decisions with models that, um, that help to make good decisions. 
Thanks, everyone. Cheers.